and we were looking at the sheep and they were in the same spot and our guide was like, okay, I don't know if we can get to them fast enough. I'm pretty sure there's going to be illegal ram in there, but I don't know if we can get to them and get them shot and back to the airstrip in the same, like, I don't know if we can pull it off, but maybe. He said, so we either try that or we're in sheep country. We just like keep working our way up this main ridge and peeking over both sides and just hope that we find a sheep. And I told him, I was like, man, I don't really want to just know where some rams are and know that we can probably make it and then just sit here and hope that one pops up that we've never even seen. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I've had enough uh, sleep this week for a couple of months. So like, if you want to go for it, we'll go for it. And I was like, yeah, let's go. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military, the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. You've been on every type of North American sheep hunt. I have now, yeah. That's kind of cool. Just finished the fourth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Special kind of slam? Yeah. A, um, I guess I still don't have a slam. I still haven't filmed one. Which one have you not filmed? Doll. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite of the sheeps? Mm, I like the adventure side of the Alaska because it was doll sheep, you know? Yeah. And then, or not doll, good Lord, it was backpack hunt. Yeah. So that was more adventurous. And then desert sheep is pretty fun though. Yeah. I don't know why. It just is. I was kind of getting into the genetics the other day of desert and California. Mm-hmm. Seems like some real gray area stuff. I haven't looked into it a ton. Yeah. And then genetically, what's different between a stone and a doll? It's, I mean, a lot of it, people just say it's a line, but their uh, hair, they just have like their... A little bit different hair yeah, color. a little bit different hair color. Like a stone's is more like a, yeah, like stone gray, mm-hmm. stone gray and white, and they're getting harder to come by. Aren't there some, some doll sheep that kind of have some off-colored hair? Like a fan in, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are some that, 
Yeah, and they're mixed in a lot of areas too. <clears throat> so somebody that wants like a true stones, um, yeah, it seems like you can get into some spots where it's maybe not. Uh, we were in the Yukon one time after stones, and the older of the Rams was a white, more white. Mm-hmm. Like it still had some gray in it, but it was pretty white. Yeah. Just a dirty white, like, you know, pepper. And, uh, but there was a younger ram that was definitely more of like a prominent stones. And the hunter, of course, wanted one that looked more like a prominent. Hmm. And, uh, but the guide was like, like, what are we doing? We need to shoot like, you know, we need to shoot an older sheep. And so we did. Sheep are interesting to me in, in that regard with the age class thing, because older sheep aren't breeding, right? No. Yeah. No, they get to a certain point, which is like in that, like above eight years old, I think. I mean, the, it was seven years old. They had to be seven where we were. And, uh, frick, I hope that's right. I'm pretty sure it was. It's been long enough now. If it, that, uh, if it's not right, it's close enough. And if somebody's mad about it, then they can look up the regulations. Yeah. Yeah. So they needed to be. A certain age and is basically that's kind of when they like eight nine years old and above they're kind of they're just there really i mean deteriorating yeah until they die yeah and that's a i don't know that that's a real real world conservation type thing because you can shoot that age class of ram all the time every year and you're mm-hmm. not going to affect the ability of the species to continue yeah. And that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about shooting elk that are, um, you know, past their prime and not breeding. That's really kind of fake news. Um, I, there are very few elk, you know, it, it's, it's way less than 1% of bulls that ever mm-hmm. go past their ability to, to breed cows. It's interesting. I'd say the same for deer. Yeah. Pretty uncommon for a buck to make it to a point that's beyond sexual maturity. Mm-hmm. But sheep, it's a little bit easier. They get there. Yeah. How was, uh, how was eating your sheep? Super good. Yeah. Yeah. Like the best, probably the most tender, like all of it. We, we pulled a, we had like a rear ham left, just like a roast type thing. We just wrapped in a roast and we, cut it up into maybe three pieces like Hmm. it was you know fairly decent sized and we cut it up in three pieces and threw it in a pan and cooked it basically just like we would backstrap and sliced it and ate it and it was basically like a deer backstrap that's crazy the tenderness you can see the grains in it yeah yeah it was insane that's so crazy because like an older domestic sheep is one of the more awful things you can eat that's kind of what I've heard, and I've had sheep before a little bit, just what mutton, is yeah, that you call it, and I was just it's gross, yeah, I wasn't really a big fan, um, but it's definitely you know it's just a dark red meat, hmm. maybe I, I wouldn't even say really say dark red, but so what I find especially interesting about your doll sheep hunt this year is is the combination of mental and physical toughness mm-hmm. that you needed mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not normal for a hunt to require that level of, of toughness in, 
in both of those regards. Mm-hmm. So tell me the story of of your doll sheep hunt, kind of from from the very very beginning, beginning. Where, wherever you would consider the beginning of that to be. Yeah. So we we got a spot in with an outfit on the south slope of the brooks. And they had a spot for us, like, right at the beginning of the season. So, it would be August 10th was the opener. So, we – I left Boise August 7th. We flew into Fairbanks and then took a charter the next morning into a little lake. Um, There's an airstrip there at the lake. And then they had, like, a cabin set up, the outfitter did. And then we would super cub out from there. So, the weather was nice. And it wasn't really supposed to be. But the weather was nice when we got to the lake on the 8th so they chartered us out from there and it doesn't really there's like four hours in the middle of the night where it's like pretty dark it's still like shooting light you could do it but it's pretty dark so uh since the weather was good even though we got in at like we got in in the afternoon like three four o'clock um they chartered us out to where we were going to be so we were on the ridge uh august 8th where we started and we were able, we found, there was like two or three rams, or at least sheep there were a long ways away, but they're way up at the head of this little drainage. And then as we were sitting there talking, um, the wind had come up a little bit on that ridge, so the pilot just hung out for a while with us, which ends up being, he's the owner of the outfit as well. So we... Uh, when we were just hanging out, waiting for the wind to go down, there were four sheep that rounded from one drainage. They crossed the saddle into the drainage we were looking at. And they were they were a long ways away, like mile and a half probably. And there was it was pretty warm. There was a lot of heat waves. So you couldn't see. I mean, you just couldn't see them really well. You know how it is looking at spotting sure. scope a long ways away. But there was <clears throat> there was good mass like down here. And that'll come in. That'll come in later too. There's good mass like down at the bottom of his curl. So okay. they're like usually if there's a lot of mass there, like you can kind of imagine how it finishes out. Yeah. So they're like those are two really good sheep. So instead of we had originally planned, um, gosh, if I could like set the scene. So there's a big long ridge that you can imagine like is the main ridge in a range. So yep. main range. And then there was a ridge off of that that came down. I guess you could call it like a finger ridge. Yep. And it came down to a saddle. And then it went down a little bit more from the saddle. And we were like, imagine us at the bottom of the saddle, basically. So we'd seen him up this finger. And we had originally tried, we were going to try to get to that saddle because we were trying to make it up all the way up the finger to the main big ridge so we could basically like hop peak to peak and have the most vantage point that we could just be in the highest area where you could glass the furthest. So that was our plan. And we wanted to get a quick move on that. But with the sheep that we had seen come into the drainage, that was literally, I mean, right in front of us. um, We decided to just sit tight where we were for that evening and the next morning and just watch them because there were two rams that they that were legal that they were pretty sure were legal and needed at least a closer look and so we didn't want to leave sheep to go find sheep so we hung out the next morning which would have been the morning of the ninth 
and we watched those sheep like mill around and we were really hoping that they were just gonna mingle like up at the head of the drainage and then we were gonna put a plan together to go around them but there was a long time that we weren't gonna be able to see them and it was a good thing that we didn't move because they ended up just making like a beeline basically towards us like across side hill in the ridge or the yeah the ridge the slope and came around and went all the way to that saddle and then went through it so then they were on the next drainage over and we couldn't see like we didn't know where they were so we packed up and decided to move closer and our original plan was it was really clear starting out that night so is this are we still on hunt day one no, this is pre-hunt. This is pre-hunt. Yeah. This is like pre-season open. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs, really just watching sheep, waiting for the 10th yep. to open. So we we didn't want to go right to the saddle and follow them through because we couldn't didn't know where they were on the other side, didn't want to bump them and screw the whole thing up for opening morning, so... We camped just shy of the saddle that night, and the original plan was to go, uh, there was a kind of a peak that looked into the saddle that we were going to try to get to at midnight when the season opened, because it was like light enough to shoot. Um, yeah, how do they even deal with sh- with shooting light there is when you're none. that far yeah. north? Yeah, there is none from what I understand, yeah, there so, is none. If you, can, if you can see, you can shoot. Mm-hmm, yep. So... That was our original plan, and we actually made it probably a third of the way up that peak, and there were some clouds that moved in, and when those things moved in, it was like, you couldn't see anything. And so we just turned around and went back down. So how far do you think you could see? Mm, It was like, it was pretty dark. I mean, if they were at 100 yards, you'd be okay. Okay. Maybe 200 yards. Yeah. But... Yeah, it wasn't, especially trying to decipher which one's legal right. and things. Like, it just wasn't good. Was there wind with it? No. Okay. No wind. Just clouds. Yep, just okay. clouds coming in. So, we went back down, went to bed, woke up the next morning, clear skies. It was really nice. Um, we took a little bit of time, packed up our camp, and went to the saddle. My guide saw two rams, and they were two small ones. So there was two small ones and two legal ones with them when we originally saw them. My guide saw two small rams headed to us. And so we dropped our packs and went and made a little bit of a stock, got on a pretty good like platform to shoot from. And the two small rams came out at 300 yards and bedded down. And bedded down for like, we were there for probably an hour. And then they stood up and they walked back through the saddle in the opposite direction. And they... The big ones never showed up. They just weren't there, I guess. I don't know. And a lot of that country is just so... It looks so big and, like, steep, too. Like, some of it's steep, but it's, like, pretty... Those... The slopes are really, like, gradual, rolly. Really hard to see very far, you know? Yeah. And so... Lots of places that something can hide, but it doesn't necessarily look like that. mm -hmm. It feels like you should be able to see them. Yeah. Like, there's just a ton of folds. So we packed up and we went, we started heading like up the finger to the big main ridge 
and uh, we got on top and glassed for a little bit and couldn't turn them up and decided to camp there that night and just try to turn them up the next morning. So we set all our tents up and whatever, and when we woke up the next morning, the wind was like cranking. I don't know. There was probably some 60 mile an hour gusts is what our guide thought. And were you in a Hilleberg or what yeah, kind of tent were you Yeah, I was in? in a Hilleberg, yeah. I was in a NEAC. So a good tent for wind, but still it's just uh, yeah, it just was, getting buffeted. Yeah, it was getting hammered. And uh, it it wasn't that windy for that long. Like we probably were going through like 20, 30 minutes of it. And then we, uh, our guide was about to tell us like, we should probably drop off a little bit and try to find a better spot. And it lightened up a little bit, which was nice. But we just had a bunch of like fog coming in and it was zero, zero, like most of the day and it was raining. And, and uh, so we spent, pretty much up until like seven eight o'clock at night in our tents that day and it started breaking up a little bit it was still raining but you could see at least and um so we got out and went up the ridge and glassed and couldn't see anything that night and then all there is to do is we had weather coming back in all there is to do is just go back to bed to the tent so meanwhile back at the ranch Mm -hmm. i'm watching your guys's weather and thinking oh crap like it is it coming bad. through there mm-hmm. and you know just you know eating my fingernails wait waiting to to hear what's happening mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, it was rough i mean the the erosion on on your mental state when you're on a hunt like that mm-hmm. like this is this is your shot this is your shot at a sheep it's a dull sheep in a cool mm-hmm. place and you're backpacked in, like you're absolutely doing it. And suddenly there's a reality that you might be weathered out the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that do to your mental state? Yeah. So there was that part of my deterioration didn't come until day seven, I think. Day seven. When we had a really bad. Yeah, there was, like, some things there that happened in the middle that we'll cover, but it was, like, day seven of being in it where we started to get down. We started to develop, like, exit strategies, how we were going to get back to the Strip by, I'll just say Friday morning, because that was when we left. We had to, they were picking us up at seven, I think, in the morning, supposed to, on, yeah, whichever day, I think that was the 19th of August. So, it was Friday morning. And when we got down to like the last few days where we were starting to talk about when we were going to pull the plug and leave, because we were still, I mean, half a day away from the airstrip, yeah. if you were like rocking. And um, yeah, that's when I started being like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this might not happen. Yeah. And then we just had really bad weather on top of it. We had like 70, 80 mile an hour winds. I talked to some other guys that had, they actually had to pull out during that deal. Um, and they were just like, we've never been in a windstorm like that. And I thought my Hilleberg was going to be gone if I got out of it. I was pretty worried. Hats off to the good folks at Hilleberg. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah. And those, the, the other guys were using tarp tents that the outfitters provided and like they were working, but they were starting to like, it wouldn't have taken that much wind for a lot of time. And 
like you can stake them down. Like there's a lot you can do to secure mm-hmm. those things, but then you're putting this gargantuan amount of pressure on on nylon or sil nylon or some kind of sil poly and mm-hmm. these little grommets. Like you just can't expect it to continue to hold up. Then you're effed. Yeah. If something happens, like it's there's 80 mile an hour winds and everything's socked in. Like nobody's coming to get you. Yeah. And I asked our guide one time when it was getting pretty bad, I asked him like, where would you even go? If you had to walk out, like, would you walk to a river or where would you even go? And he's like, well, there's a little, uh, there's a little village, like, gosh, what did you say? I think 80 miles from where we were. There's a little village, like 80 miles from us. And he's like, I'd rather crash there than land there. So dude. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah i think that's what he said i'd rather crash there i think he was okay i'm getting ahead of myself though yeah there i mean there's not a whole lot it's it's a lot of kind of the same story but we do make some progression so the all right so that was the second day we were in the tent for most of the day and then that's just something that you figure is going to happen like a couple days of weather that's why those hunts are so long so we wake up the next morning and it's raining and you're just going to sit in the tent all day. So we, that we sat in the tent the entire day that day. There was like no breaking. Are you in a tent by yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody had their own tent. How are you staying occupied? Like, um, I had my phone and I had, I downloaded podcasts. Okay. Um, most of which actually didn't download. Thanks to Spotify. Yeah. So <clears throat> I just had a bunch of old ones that I had downloaded previously. And so I just listened to those a lot. So battery banks are something that you and I talked about mm-hmm. after this hunt. Um, and you think, I, I believe you told me that like a 20,000 milliamp mm-hmm. hour battery bank is, is where it's at. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm carrying now. Yeah. Um, I have a 10,000 uh, dark energy. That's really great too. It's good for like, two and a half cell phone charges. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the 20,000 seems, seems to be kind of the ticket seems to be better. Yeah. So I had two dark energies with me in the solar panel Yep. and the solar panel sounded like a really good idea at first. And honestly, after this whole hunt and then talking to the guy during it, he's like, this is the worst weather that we've ever had right. on opening. He's like, this is the first year in a really long time that we haven't at least shot one sheep on the opener. Wow. And so, and they didn't shoot any on the opener. Hmm. So it was just like a really wild weather year and rough for everybody. So we, yeah. So I took, I took those two ten thousands and then that solar panel and, uh, the solar panel really came in clutch later, Okay, but just recharging everything. But so, so you're listening to podcasts. Yeah, pretty much. And then do you have like a, in reach burning in reach battery yeah okay for sure and uh yeah just talking back and forth to home and we so that day finally got through and my poor camera guy uh he didn't really know the in reaches existed oh yeah and he's a very socialite kind of fella anyways okay and uh did not like being by himself so he was like <laughs> you know <laughs> putting a bloody handprint on a volleyball inside his head. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, yeah, he was like, yeah. 
I don't think he loved it. <laughs> I mean, I let him use my inner reach, um, some yeah. of it, but sometimes when we were in the tent, like we couldn't, you know. So, anyways, that was yeah. That'll probably come up later too. But so he, we were in the tent all day that day. Uh, the next morning we woke up and we're in the tent till probably like nine or ten, and everything started breaking off, and. It was pretty good. There wasn't really any rain, but we still had like clouds moving in and out. So it was still visibility wasn't great, but we packed up all of our stuff and headed up the finger and we would just, <clears throat> we were just glassing our way up and when fog would come in, we'd just stop and hang out and BS and then it would move through and clear up a little bit. And, uh, we finally made our way to the, we got on the main ridge that split everything we glassed there for a little bit and there was this big peak up to our left and we were, uh, our guide was like, yeah, I want to get to the top of that. We can definitely glass off of it. I think there's enough places that we can all pitch our tents pretty flat and it'll be nice. And then the next morning we'll be able to, um, we'll be able to glass right off of it. And like, we're in sheep country now, like really good sheep country. So I was like, all right. So we started making our way up to this big peak and we got like a third of the way up and I looked over and there was like through a saddle, there was a little tit, I would say. Mm-hmm. And around the, around the bend of the tit comes, there's four, I just saw four dots. And I was like, those are cheap probably. So we, we all got down and broke spotting scopes out. And one of them was super cool. He, the other three were just immature, but there was one, uh, legal ram for sure and he was broomed off on one side but on his other side he had full curl and he was like really tipped out mm. and he had a big gouge taken out of the top of his horn which is pretty cool so uh, it was getting towards dark but we decided that we wanted to go make you know make a stock well you still had to go up to the top of that peak and wrap around it and then go back down and from where we were the easiest way to get to the top the sheep were going to be able to see us and we we're going to basically be like skyline to them so uh we didn't want to chance it so we had to roll over the back edge which was basically like a small cliff just like rock a bunch of rock formations that just took forever to move through and when we got to the top we looked at where the rams were bedded and they weren't there anymore and we couldn't find them but I was convinced that they were just wrapped around the hill a little bit, still bedded in the same spot. But we did think maybe they're below us and we just, we kind of passed each other. And so we, we went down off the edge as much as we could and looked and just couldn't like, we could see a lot of the mountain, but we couldn't see all of it. And we're like, no, they're not under us or at least we don't see them. Like, I think that they're still wrapped around that. And then just, I think all of us kind of feel in the pressure of just been sitting in a tent for like two and a half days or whatever it was. I think we were all pretty anxious to try something. Yeah, make a move. Yeah, do something. And so we were like, all right, we're going to go over there. And we didn't make it probably 200 yards headed down towards the saddle. And I just looked over and there was four sheep just like take off from underneath of us and go right back to where they came. And the three small ones stopped at like 420 and the big one was in the lead and didn't hesitate. Just like kept going. Were you able to even have, did you have your rifle out and you could have shot if you stopped? Yeah. Yeah. So we dropped our packs at the top of that, um, at the top of the peak 
and like we're gonna go on the stock so I had my rifle out and ready and if he would have stopped like it would have been a quick shot but I I had time when they came out I like ranged where I thought they could stop I dialed and was like ready to shoot and he just never stopped so we made we just turned around and went back up and by the time we got to the top I think it was like 1 a.m our time and it was it had cleared off and it was getting cold 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 there was like frost on our packs and we got up there and it was mm. just like fixing to be a cold kind of miserable night and the wind was blowing pretty good too so we set up our tents and it was supposed to be i mean via the inreach it was supposed to be pretty nice so we didn't really i staked my tent down pretty good and tied it to some rocks but i didn't like do it for a full on uh, windstorm. And then the next morning is when we woke up and the wind was like ripping. It was, it kept ripping my, the tent stake out of my vestibule. So I just tied it to my backpack. And then I was legitimately like, if I get out of this thing, like it's going to be gone. And I looked over and (laughs) uh, my camera guy's tent was like right next to me. And it has just one, not a vertical pole but it runs lengthwise right and it was like over like this and it was just like banging (laughs) and you could see the outline of his sleeping bag it was just a person (laughs) laying there and i'm like holy shit man just wet nylon slapping you in the face repeatedly gross that's exactly what was happening so and it was all socked in like couldn't see anything so uh, our guide's name is Wes, and I was like, uh, do we have a plan? And he's like, I think we need to get off here before all of our shit starts breaking. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, probably a good idea. So uh, down off from where we were, there was, before you get to the next little creek bottom, there was like a flat spot that was like a little meadow almost looking thing. And so we knew it was there. And we had planned that if we had bad weather, that that's where we would go. And there was water there and everything too. So we bailed off and just pretty much we're just stuffing stuff in our pack, like wherever we could go, like just strapping things on as fast as we could, um, not packing very nicely. And we bailed off and we ended up getting below the clouds. Mm. And so we just posted up below the clouds and we're looking just stayed up there all day and we're looking off of both ends. Um, I set up, I brought a tarp. I brought the Kafaru sheep tarp. It's just a little like nine by nine flat tarp. And we set it up and there was all four of us were underneath of it and just make, made coffee and ate snacks and glassed. And we saw a couple of rams that were immature off of that. And then we, we looked at the inreach weather and it was supposed to, there was supposed to be a bit of wind that night and some snow. So we decided to just go down to the meadow and set up camp. And uh, the wind was still whipping pretty good the whole time. So we get down to the meadow and uh, we had just got there and at one point had thought maybe we should keep dropping all the way off if it's supposed to be this bad and get down to the creek bottom. There'd be more cover. And there was a sow with two cubs down there and headed our direction. And uh, I was like, well, the our guide's like, I mean, there's really nowhere else to go. Like, we can't camp on a giant hillside, so. Yeah, and staking 
tents down in Talos is Mm-mm. almost impossible. Yeah. So it's like, okay, do you stay on a shale hillside or go mm-hmm. deal with a sow grizzly that's got cubs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we chose the latter. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we went down and built, like, got our tents pitched and got giant rocks on top of the stakes and built, like, kind of a fortress. And we were all... <laughs> We were all uh, picking out, like, dinner for the next day and shoveling snacks in between all of us of, like, trading, you know? Like, mm-hmm. all right, what do you want to eat all day tomorrow? Because <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be in the tents all day. And we woke up, and I heard our guide out uh, making coffee. And he's like, it's actually really nice this morning. I was like, oh, sweet. So... We got up and there was some snow on the peaks, but it was pretty good where we were. And we packed up our camp and we went back up to where we had been sitting the night or the glass in the night before below the clouds. And right as we got there, all the clouds moved in and then we were socked in again. (laughs) So we just sat there. Disheartening. Most of the day. Uh, Yeah. It was really when, when the wind was really bad the morning before. That was when I was, I looked at, I pulled in reach weather and all the rest of the days had a snowflake on them. Gross. And I was like, I, we literally made it this far and we're not even going to get a chance. Well, I mean, this blown stock the day before really hurt bad, but. And even beyond like snow being bad for that kind of business, um, spotting white sheep in snow is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because snow is also white. Yeah. Yeah. And it was difficult, but yeah. Okay. So where are we at? Day five? Oh, man. Six? Probably blurs together. We're getting close to Friday. Yeah. So we had that day of weather, and in the afternoon it started breaking, and it was getting nicer. So we decided to go back on top of the peak, and we glassed off of it that evening, if I remember right, and then we... How big of a climb is that? Went to to bed. Uh, probably 1,500 feet. Yeah, 1,500 feet. And fairly steep, I would guess. Yeah, pretty steep. And then they're just, the rocks really suck. Like they're all rocks the size of a dinner plate or steak plate and bigger. And they're not stable at all. They're always moving. Were you happy with your boots? No. Uh Uh-oh. I had a bad... It was a bad boot choice. So I had... That surprises me because you're like... I know. You're, Trust me. You're the boot expert. Surprises you're, me too. You're one of the only people mm-hmm. that I ask about boots. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that... Uh, I really didn't think they were going to fall apart. And they really didn't fall apart, but they were on their way too. Really? Yeah. In I just mean, a few days? Uh, At the end. Yeah. Yeah. It was at the end where I was like, holy shit, I'm glad I don't have to be in these things for another week. And basically what it was, they're Salewa Raven 3s. They're a great boot for like lower 48. They're stiff. They're synthetic. Um, I think their downside is the material on the side is almost like a Cordura type. So it's not smooth. It has texture. And the rocks. I've never been in rocks quite like that before. And it just like ate up the sides of them. Like the soles were good. Everything else on them was good. But they were just that was that material was fraying on the outside and then it was opening up like the Gore-Tex underneath of it. And it's not like you're unaccustomed to hunting mountainous country that's rocky. Like you've hunted 
I know you've hunted no. Mexico, Idaho, Wyoming for sheep. You've hunted uh, Canada mm-hmm. and uh, mountain goat hunted. Uh, we mountain goat, you, mountain goat yeah. hunted Kodiak together. That was super rocky, mm-hmm. but just a different situation. Yeah, I wanted a, for whatever reason, I just wanted to run a synthetic boot just to cut some weight, yeah. be lighter, just more breathable. Supposed to be a really hot hunt. Yeah. <laughs> really. And uh, we were going to be doing like a lot of climbing and I just did not want to get in a situation where my feet were going to sweat. And just my experience with leather boots up to that was they just like stretch and shrink and I don't know. I was just on my, you know, early season boot kick and that's usually what I use. And yeah, towards the end, they never, um, I mean, I don't think they ever lost their waterproofness through that yeah because it didn't rub through the Gore-Tex but there was definitely like abrasion issues how many pairs of socks did you bring I brought pretty much one for each I think I brought five okay yeah which is a lot for a sheep hunt a lot of guys go with less yeah a lot of guys go with less but I really wanted to be diligent on my feet yeah and yeah there was I talked to a dude that lived up there that's hunted sheep for a really long time and he's like, I'll skimp on some things, but socks aren't one of those. Yeah. And I kind of just went with him. I'm in the same camp. like, mm-hmm. And I hear from, from the sheep guys, even Alaska sheep guys, that you know they want to get three days out of a pair. I'm like, man, I, I don't. Like, mm-hmm. I will if I have to, but that's, that's weight that I'm willing to kind of splurge on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I would go like a day and then when I would go to bed I would swap them so I had dry socks on when I went to bed and then I would wear those the next day and I might flip those back and forth for like the two days if that makes sense and then roll on to like two brand new pairs yeah and that seemed to work pretty good gotcha I do have a couple other gear questions before we kind of close in on this thing but Mm -hmm. uh trekking poles yeah so I used the SNS archery trekking poles they're the, um, I think they just call them their hunter carbons. They're great for what I was doing. Pack? Um, a Kafaru. I was running the duplex light frame with the doll bag. Okay. I felt like I had to. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's doll bag on the doll hunt. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Happy sure. with the choice? Yeah, for sure. Any other pieces of gear that you feel like were like stellar performers or underperformers? Um, tarp. I would definitely bring a tarp. Yeah. Every day of my life. Seriously, such a clutch piece of gear yeah. to be able to set that thing up in glass from underneath of it mm-hmm. in bad weather. Yeah, underestimated yeah. for sure. Um, one thing I took too that was pretty nice, it was a little bit of like, even though I was running the Hilleberg that has, you know, it's floored tent, so you get a little bit of protection there. I ran, a they call it a Bora Bivy. Hmm. It's like a hundred dollar bivy. It's like nine ounces folds up to the size of your fist. And that gave a little extra protection to my sleeping pad. And that's the other thing too, with the sleeping pad, I did some redundancy on that. So, but yeah, that Bora bivy is nice. Cause then your it keeps your sleeping pad. Um, and then your bag and anything else that you want, it just keeps everything all together. Yeah. Gives you a little extra. And for nine ounces, I was like, yeah. I think that's a good choice. So I'm glad I did that. But with the redundancy on the pad, um, I brought a regular insulated air pad. Um, I brought the, or I took the big Agnes Q-Core. 
but I took a, usually I take like a foam thermarest pad that's just the size of a glass. It's literally a glassing seat. I think yeah. they call it the Z seat. Um, but what I did this time is I bought like a full length Z pad and I cut it down to three quarter length okay. to put underneath my, my sleeping pad for give you more insulation from the ground and then help protect it too. Yeah. And then if I lost my sleeping pad, <clears throat> like if I got a big hole in it and it was not repairable, then at least I would have something yeah. to insulate me from the ground. That was pretty clutch on a hunt like that too, I think. Sean's Q-Core popped when we were uh, doing a snowmobile coyote hunt in January on like mm. five feet of snow. What color was it? Uh, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But... I've I've been wanting to get a Q-Core and he pulled it out and I was like, hey, do you like that thing? He's like, oh man, I love it. It's awesome. I was like, I just don't know about about those inflatables because mine pop all the time. He's like, yeah, I haven't had any issues. And then he blew mm. it up and laid down and went, it's like, mm. oh dude, you're in for a cold mm-hmm. night, son. That sucks. Miserable. But it can happen to any of them. Oh yeah. So I definitely wanted to avoid that. Yeah. Good so call. yeah, that was that was one that I don't, I wouldn't bring on like a lot of Western hunts because a lot of Western hunts, you can just walk back in a few hours yep. or a couple hours or whatever. It's just not quite as extreme as up yeah. there. And even if you walked off the mountain and the weather conditions you had, uh, it's not like somebody can fly in through that and bring you more kit. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. No. You're stuck pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. There's some other gear stuff that we can't talk about yet. Uh, what optic were you using? I had the Whiskey 5. Okay. Yeah. Trying to save some Which, ounces. Yeah, trying to save some ounces, and then I just like to dial. Yeah. Yeah. And in really wet weather and whatever, I was like... Sure. I want to try to cut down on electronics as much as I can. I mean, like over the tango. Yeah, for sure over yeah. the tango. Like, yeah, just cutting ounces. Yeah. In size, too. Yeah. Kind of the whole thing. But. Um, Glassing? Um, yeah, I took my, <clears throat> that's one thing on a sheep hunt that a lot of outfitters will tell you or guides, they'll be like, I'm bringing a spotting scope. Like, don't bring one or they leave it up to you at least. And, uh, I didn't, you know, we were filming it too. So I wanted to have something that we could film through and I didn't, I don't know. I didn't want to have the guide to have the spotting scope all the time. Cause at some point they do have to take it over. Like yeah. they have to just for a long time study them and just make sure that you're going to break, you're going to break full curl. So there's some points where they're just going to, they're going to take it over. And I didn't really want that. And, uh, I guess I was just feeling spry too. I don't know. So yeah, I took the Oscar eight and, uh, then I took my outdoorsman's, uh, compact tripod with a pan head. And then I had my bino adapter for my binoculars, Okay, which was good. Yeah. And I took the Kilo 3000s from SIG. Okay. So you had some fairly hefty optics there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your total pack weight, do you think? Mm, I didn't weigh it before I went in. I bet it was like with food. I took my own snacks. The guide carry or the packer carried a lot of the food mm-hmm. um, or a lot of food, I guess. But I was probably knocking on 60, I bet. It's a lot. 55. That's a lot of weight. Yeah, it was. Did you feel like you were physically prepared for it? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I definitely don't think that, at least that sheep hunt, it wasn't like 
the endurance of going fast, like keeping a fast pace that you needed to work on. It was more like being able to handle a 50, 60 pound pack on super uneven rocks that are moving all the time Yep. and being very slow and controlled with it. Like that's what I think core and legs was yeah. like pretty damn important on that. So now we're kind of at the point that we had talked about earlier where um, you're starting to wonder if this is going to happen or not. It was Wednesday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Wednesday and we were a long ways from the airstrip. So Wednesday morning we wake up on top of the peak and it was socked in for a while um, and it had snowed like, I don't know, an inch, a couple inches. But when you look at snow on those uh, rocks, it doesn't really, it's not really that appealing. So it cleared up probably like 11 o'clock noon, something like that. It cleared up and I had gone out to look into really, and we were finally at the very top of like the head of the drainage that the original sheep were in. And so I got out of the tent, went over and was looking off of that. And I looked over a couple ridges over and there was a sheep butt that went through a little saddle over the hill. So I went back and told those guys and we um, pulled camp and started making our way over there. It was just really slow going, but we got over to where the sheep were and we glassed up probably like four little rams. Mm. There might've been five really little rams underneath of us. And we gave them some time, but just couldn't find anything big. So we looking over into kind of on the other side of that drainage, there was, since there was new snow, there was like fresh tracks. You could cut, you could see tracks easy, which was nice. And they had cut across like wrapped around this peak. And so we're like, we should just follow those into the next drainage over. So that's what we did. We followed them. And uh, we got into this, there was like a big rock formation. And we dropped our packs and we were sitting under like these overhangs and it started to rain again. And across the valley, so like through the brush line and then on the other side of the valley, there were four rams, and one of them had a lot of mass, like, down here at the bottom of their curl, and Wes is like, I think they're probably legal, like, they're, you know, from what I can tell, he's probably legal, like, unless something's really weird, like, he's probably legal, and from where we were a long ways away from him, and we just had snow kept coming in, and then a bunch of snow came in, and blocked us, and we couldn't see him, and it was, like, snowing sideways, and that was another point of, for me, where I was just, like, son of a bitch, like, yeah. Can't it's just relentless, yeah, I was just, like, this is relentless, like, we just get a little bit, and we start making headway, you know, and then it just, like, mm, get you get cut off, and that's when we had a conversation about, like, we need to be to the airstrip by Friday. So the very latest we can leave this ridge is like Thursday night. And then we're walking all night to get to the strip. And so the clouds finally started to lift and things started to break. And we were looking at the sheep and they were in the same spot. And our guide was like, okay, I don't know if we can get to them fast enough. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a legal ram in there but I don't know if we can get to them and get them shot and back to the airstrip in the same, like, I don't know if we can pull it off, but maybe. He said, so we either try that 
or we're in sheep country. We just like keep working our way up this main ridge and peeking over both sides and just hope that we find a sheep. And I told him, I was like, man, I don't really want to just know where some rams are and know that we can probably make it and then just sit here and hope that one pops up that we've never even seen. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I've had enough uh, sleep this week for a couple of months. So like, if you want to go for it, we'll go for it. And I was like, yeah, let's go. So we packed our packs up and it was five o'clock that evening. We made our way down a finger, uh, dropped down through the brush line, crossed the creek and went back up through the brush line, which a lot of that stuff is like, then you're in the tundra, like you're in the permafrost. And that is like, you walked in that. Yeah. It's neat. It's not that much fun. And so we've made how would, a, how would you describe it for the good folks out there who have not? Mm, like walking on a giant pillow yeah. that's like really uneven. And then there's a lot of rocks underneath of it too. And you never know if you're going to step in a hole or step on a rock or there's that. And then after you get past a certain point of that, that's decent walking. Then you're into the brush. So then you're into both. And grizzlies. Yeah, that too. I just tried not to think about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But it was... Were you carrying a pistol? Something. Um, no. Hmm. My guide was. <sighs> Jordan, Jordan, They Jordan. talked me out of it. Did I, they? I brought... I flew it in with me. Yeah. 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 I flew 10 mil in. It worked out. Yeah. Yeah, it worked out. So, anyways. Yeah, so 5 o'clock in the evening is when we left that. And then it was Thursday morning at, I think, 2 o'clock in the morning. We were a 1,000 yards from the sheep, and they were still bedded there. Wow. And we were under them. So you just went through nine hours of tough sledding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, like, chipping away at it. Yeah. And it was so funny at one time. Like, that, that camera guy went through some real hell that he yeah. was not signed up for. Yeah. And that was like his first mountain trip. Jonah Bell. Jonah Bell. Mm-hmm. What's up, Jonah? Look forward yeah. to meeting you someday. Yeah, you will at the wedding. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Jonah and I, yeah, we endured a lot of hell. And it was it was really good at uh, we kept each other upbeat, I think. That's awesome. That was a lot of it. It was just the people that you were with, you yeah. know, staying positive. So, so yeah, we were a thousand yards from them and it, we didn't think it was a good idea. It had cleared off. And so then, you know, the first night after clearing off from a storm, it's just like awfully, awfully cold yeah. and miserable. So we were on a pretty steep hillside. There was really, there was no place to pitch a tent. Um, so we just pulled our sleeping bags out and crawled in them and just tried to sleep on the hillside. And so we were there till probably 4.30, I think, is when we woke up and... It started to get light, and we watched the sheep get up, and they went over to this little rock outcropping. There was a little fold in the hill behind them, and they kept they were dropping in and out of that. And we finally decided that like we got to make a move. So have you, have you determined at this point that there is a legal ram? Yeah, there's two. Two. Yeah, there's two, and one of them I really like a flare. Yep. One of them flared out a lot and was heavy, and the other one didn't flare out quite as much, but he like really made a full curl and started yeah. coming back, but he didn't really have a flare. So we're like, yeah, there's two legal rams and we're looking at them and there's 
they're kind of dirty in different places. Like their hides just look a little different. You know, white just gets dirty easy. So we're, I'm looking through the spotting scope and Wes is saying to me like, okay, there's one laying to the left. He has his head facing left. He has a big dirty spot on his right rump. He's like, you see how he's kind of shaped and all these things. So then when we get to the sheep, we can communicate back and forth. And I kind of have fast know what I'm looking at, yeah. which is super important. So we <clears throat> we decide to drop back behind the little fold in our hill and get up on their same level and then just try to walk straight at them, like across to them. And hopefully we can get to the the rock outcropping that they were on. And so we headed over there and uh, we finally got to this big rock slab that had a crack, like a giant crack in it. And we get pretty close to it. Wes peeks his head through and he didn't really have any, he didn't say anything at first. And I was like, how hard could the sheep be to see? Like they're gone. Like they snuck out on us. And then he's, he turns around. He's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. He's like a hundred yards. I was like, holy shit, they're close. And so when I got up in this little crack, put my bipod on a rock, and he was like, there was the four rams. They didn't really, I think they knew something was there, but they didn't really like know what it was. So they turned and were walking directly away from us. And uh, they, the guy just kept calling out, like kept calling ranges. And then he was trying to figure out which one was the best one. And it was it was a pretty obvious difference between the sublegal rams and the legal ones. Right. So I was on the first one and he's like, no, the big, the one that you like is in the back. So I was on him and they just kept like, they just wouldn't give me a shot. Like all I had, I like could see where their butts and Wes just kept, he was like 150, 170, 180, 200, 225. 230 and I'm just the little fold that they're in is like 300 yards wide like it wasn't going to take that much for him to just like roll over and be gone and finally he was like he called 240 his range and that ram stopped and was just a little bit quartering away and uh, I stuck it like right in the last rib and let her rip and yeah so it hit him there and then I was holding in my scope yep. for the range instead of dialing. Yep. And when I went to reload, he was broadside and I was just going to shoot him again and I didn't hold. Yeah. And so I hit right underneath of his brisket. So I reloaded and he was like on his way down, but yeah. I was like, I'm going to keep shooting until yeah. it's like dead. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't hold. And so... Actually, I ended up dialing in on the last shot and shot him, and then we had dead sheep. It's a very strange feeling. What time of day is this? Um, Like 10 o'clock in the morning, maybe. And how long do you have to make it to the airstrip? 7 o'clock the next morning. Okay. Yeah. But what we did was when the sheep started to move, we were all like fairly... I think the packer especially was like frozen to death the next yeah. morning. Like... Um, we luckily had some, we had a little hill behind us that sheltered us, uh, sight wise from the sheep. And like we were running, our guide was running up and down it trying to get warm so he could sit behind the spotting scope. 
and Jonah went and was running up, and yeah, it was just, everybody was super cold, so instead of, we just left our packs, and we left the packer at the packs, and then it was just us three that went up, so we had to come back and get our packs, and then go back up to where the sheep was, and took care of him, and did all that, and then we, when we got him all taken care of, we went back down to where we had originally, like, stayed the night and dropped the packs, loaded up all of our camp and the rest of our stuff was trying to divvy it out as best we could between everybody to where we'd be like kind of fair and um loaded up the packs and took off i think we left at seven that night okay yeah and we got to the airstrip at four in the or yeah four thirty in the morning i think and slept for a couple of hours and mm-hmm. flew home with your yeah. sheep yeah and it was a miserable miserable night <laughs> yeah of walking we had to, we had to jump two or yeah, we had to go through two streams. Probably lucky none of us fell in, and then everything else was just you were we were in the brush line. Yeah. For eighty percent of it. Gross. Eighty five percent of it probably, and it was just like busting through trees some of the time, and you're on the permafrost, and yeah, there towards the end especially it was a pretty steep climb to get up to where it broke out into the airstrip, and we were all. We would take, like, Wes was taking, I think, like, 50 or 60 steps. He was counting them, and then we would all sit down. Yeah. But we were getting to the point. I remember one of the last times I stood up, I was like, dude, if we sit down, like, I've, I'm have i not standing back up. Like, I don't think I can. And, uh, yeah, we made it to the airstrip and pitched the tent. And the airplane came to pick us up the next day. Do you feel like you have... The sheep bug more or less now? Mm, more, for sure. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. Mm-mm. Kind of a sick, twisted way of fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. It's oh, a beautiful it mount. Beautiful mount. Oh, yeah. They really kicked ass on that. Yeah. Hunter's yeah. Choice in Nampa. Yeah. Did that for me. So you had a terrific experience. Great meat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you have a, a wonderful mount for it. Biggest takeaway, single biggest takeaway, learning point. Ooh, learning point. I'm not sure if there's like a specific thing, but I would say um, having to go through all the hell made it, when it happened, made it that much better. And I think that a takeaway was like, don't be afraid of the hell that could be endured. Yeah. Going into it, if that makes any sense. Like sometimes it's good to push yourself out of... uh, push your boundaries or whatever it might mean more to you in the end. Like if we would have shot the sheep on the first morning in that saddle, it would have been awesome. And I would have got a dull sheep, but it wouldn't have been what it was, you know, staying with those guys for eight days or whatever and doing that crazy stock. You're tough. Pack out. You're a tough human. Yeah. I don't know. There's a little bit of dumb in there too, probably. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there was really no, what, what are you going to do? Like, give up. Yeah, that's I mean, what most people would have done. You could be laying in the tent and be like, "I quit, I give up," but we're still here, and I still have to walk my ass out of here, yeah. and the plane still can't come. So yeah, yeah, there was just, I mean, we're allotted X amount of days. Like, might as well fulfill them. So I like that. Yeah. Thanks for your story. That's for a sure. good story. Sorry, I probably bored everybody, but I don't think so. There was a lot of elements to it that. You can't miss. Yeah. And since a lot of people gloss over that stuff, 
there's mm-hmm. there's folks out there that that don't know what they might be getting into. Yeah. So I think that there's people listening right now that now want to doll sheep hunt more than ever. Mm-hmm. And there's also people that thought they wanted to, that are now thinking, you know what? Not for me. I'm, yeah. I'm maybe in that second camp. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that that's, that that's the hunt for me. Um, if I'm being real honest with myself, could I do it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm physically and mentally capable of that, but I don't know if, if, that's the kind of hunt that I would find fulfilling and satisfying. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. And I mean, there were times looking back on it, it was fun and I really want to go again and you know, it fueled the fire, but there was a lot of times in there where I was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> like hell no. There's, you know, Leah was back at a, bachelor party having fun on a freaking yacht drinking Coors Lights and I was just like I have literally been staring at the ceiling of my tent for four days now yeah and the wind is just like you know rattling my tent apart there are definitely times where you feel like it sucks and you're like this is not where I want to be right now but also well where uh where can people go to look at a picture of this ram probably my instagram Mm-hmm. Uh, at jordan.bud on instagram okay link in podcast description as always sweet okay thank you jordan mm-hmm. and uh huge thank you for letting us come back oh, out yeah. here and hunt we had a hell of a coyote hunt last mm-hmm. night save that story for another time yeah uh that was one of the most memorable coyote stands in my life it was wild super wild it was wild can't believe that happened mm-hmm. story for another time yeah but All right. yeah Catch you next time. Yeah. So I found this old ad and there's like dudes dressed up like construction workers and a guy's got a jackhammer and there's a crane and, you know, they're moving all these big steel beams and stuff. Aladdin Stanley Thermos. Stanley, the tough, all steel thermos bottle that's completely dependable. They're showing this thermos like falling off this building and hitting all this other construction stuff. Built to take a bounding year after year. <laughs> Get the top one. Oh, lands in the wheelbarrow. The guy grabs it out of the wheelbarrow. Now he's going to pour himself a cup of coffee. I love these cheesy old ads. And most of the time, like, they're lying to us, right? That's most of what marketing used to be, was just, like, telling a lie, or, or at least telling a version of a lie that, that made you think that you needed this thing. But I'll tell you what, when it's cold out like it is right now, the only way to keep liquid liquid and not freezing in your pack is by putting it in something that's insulated. So packing a thermos in the wintertime is really smart, whether it's for a hot beverage like coffee or if you just want to bring some water with you, which is a really important thing if you're going to be out adventuring around in this uh, in this snow that we've got all over the country. And I think you should be because it's a great time of year to get out and about. You know, this is both a comfort and a safety thing. If you want to get something from Stanley, which I encourage you to do, you can use the discount code 6RANCH. That's the number 6 in the word ranch. And that'll get you 25% off of just about anything on their website. I encourage you to do that. They're great supporters of the show and uh, great supporters of this audience. And I love you guys. So stay warm out there. Have a nice warm drink. And uh, make sure you're drinking it out of a Stanley product. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.